0: Well, thank you for coming this afternoon. We're going to uh, read from 1 Peter chapter 1, and I want to bring you a message on cultivating holiness, cultivating holiness. 1 Peter 1 <clears throat> Let's read verses 13 through 20. Hear the word of God as it comes to us this afternoon. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts, In your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. May God bless the reading of his sacred word. Let's have a short prayer. Lord God, we thank thee for that prayer that was just uttered, and we ask now that we may indeed grow in holiness, that thou wouldst bless this talk to that end, That thy Holy Spirit would be poured out, the only one who can make us holy, and that we would learn that he uses means, and that we would use the means diligently to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So please be with every believer that's gathered here with us this afternoon and give us a holy resolve to seek thy face that we would be more holy even as thou art holy. We ask all this, praying too for those who do not know thee, who may be with us this afternoon. May they feel what they're missing, and may they cry out, Make me holy, O God. Save me in Jesus, and give me holy desires to know thee and to grow in communion with thee. Communion that flows out of union with Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> well, the godly farmer who plows his field, sows seed, fertilizes, cultivates, is acutely aware that in the final analysis, He is assured of a crop only upon forces outside of himself. He can't make the sun shine. He can't make the rain fall. My first church was in northwest Iowa 45 years ago. I was a city boy, there were 700 farmers. And I really learned the complexity of farming. And my esteem for farmers rose exponentially. But I also learned their dependency on the Lord. And it seems like they were always worried that this year's crop would fail. And they were always living off of last year's crop. And they needed help all the time. If it wasn't a thunderstorm, it was a hail, or if it wasn't hail, it was a drought, and there was always this radical dependency on the Lord. And yet no farmer sat in his living room and looked out his window and said, well, Lord, you have to grow the field, and there's nothing I can do. No, they had to go out and plow and sow and fertilize and cultivate and then look to the Lord for blessing, knowing that if they skip any of those steps, their crop will either be non-existent or meager at best. And so the Christian, the Christian life is like a cultivated field that. Seeks to produce fruits of holy living unto God. God Himself exhorts us, as we've just read to you Be holy, for I am holy. And Paul says to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4 7, God has not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. And then we read in Hebrews 12 14, a very important text. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So it's wonderful to be justified, as we heard last night. But how do we know we're justified? The evidence of our justification is visualized in our sanctification so we can look at sanctification holiness same thing and say that visualizes not only our justification but in turn our election You don't know you're elect by saying you're elect. You know you're elect by living a life that manifests the fruits of being elect, which we call holiness or sanctification. So this afternoon, I want to look at four thoughts with you. Four thoughts. First, the call. The call to cultivate holiness. Be holy, for I am holy. Then we want to look second at what we must cultivate. What exactly is it that we must strive after uh, combined with the Holy Spirit working in us? And third, how how we must cultivate that holiness? What means has God provided to help us in that, that battle for holiness? And then fourth, I want to look with you very briefly at some encouragements, four or five encouragements to cultivate holiness. (coughs) And then I will conclude, it's not really a fifth point, but it's, you might call it that, a conclusion on the joy of holiness. That it's not drudgery, but it's really a joyful thing. So, the call, the what, the how, the encouragements, and finally, the joy. Holiness is a noun that relates to the adjective holy, and in turn to the verb sanctify, which really means, as we heard last night, to make holy. Now, in both biblical languages... Greek and Hebrew, this means to be separated, separated and set apart for God. For the Christian, to be set apart means two things. It means negatively to be separated from sin and positively to be consecrated to God separated from sin, consecrated to God, or you could say, conformed to Christ. Both the Old and New Testament testify that these two ideas are the big branches that come out of the trunk of the tree we call holiness. If you grow in holiness... You grow in hatred for sin and forsaking sin. And you grow in consecration and dedication to God. And that's what Peter is saying in 1 Peter 1. He's looking in the opening verses, which I didn't read, at what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And that God has chosen us. We have not chosen him before the world began. And that what God prepares in his inheritance for his people is is more wonderful than we can imagine. And then, in verse 13, there is a, a transition. Since all these things are true, since we have glorious salvation, justification in Jesus, wherefore, here's your transition word, verse 13, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end, etc. be ye holy, for I am holy. Verse 16. So many people accuse reform people of uh, being careless with salvation, because well, if Jesus elects us, He elects us, doesn't matter what we do. No, no, no. The Bible is constantly saying something like this. If you are saved, if you are elected, if you are justified, you will be sanctified. You will be holy. See, Roman Catholicism said it's very dangerous, very dangerous to talk to people about assurance of faith because they'll settle on their lees, they'll be careless in their living, they'll say, oh, well, we're, if we're going to be saved, we're going to be saved anyhow. It doesn't matter how we live. But the Bible says it this way. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will want to be holy. If you love someone very, very much, whether it's a spouse or a child, you don't want to offend that person. You want to respond to that person in positive ways. And so, if God has saved you, the last thing in the world you want to do is offend God. You want to obey His commandments. You want to hate sin. You want to love God. You want to grow in holiness because you know that holiness pleases God. I often say to young people, think about how much your mother has done for you. Your mother. My dad used to say to us, you can never repay your mother. For everything she's done for you in your life. You realize that? All those diapers you had changed, all that food you had fed, all the times in the middle of the night she got up to feed you as a baby, much less the next 20 years. You can't repay your mother. If you go driving down the road and you're going 15 miles over the speed limit and the police stops and gives you a ticket, do you look at the policeman and say, I am just so, so very sorry. Would you please forgive me because I've offended you? No. You're thinking, i got to pay for this ticket because you don't have a close relationship with that policeman. But what if you offended your mother? You feel terrible. You want to straighten it out. It's that way with God. See, when you love God and you you, you know His love, you just want to be holy because He is holy. Be holy, for I am holy. You say, oh Lord, help me to be holy. You want to use all the means to be holy. So, when you live a careless life, If you've been born again, we call that backsliding. And when you have low levels of obedience, low levels of holiness in your life, you will have low levels of assurance because you're living as if you're not a child of God. When you're backsliding. So this is the point. You see, holiness is essential, Peter says, because it gives evidence that you have been bought with a precious price, even, verse 19, the precious blood of Christ. So, let's look at this call to holiness a little bit deeper. Holiness in the Bible is more often spoken of about God than it is about man about the believer. The focus in the Bible on God is that holiness is the very essence of his being. It's the backdrop of everything else the Bible says about God. Every attribute of God is holy. His justice is holy justice. His love is holy love. His goodness is holy goodness, and so on. And no other attribute of God is so celebrated before the throne of God as his holiness. Holy, holy, holy. The seraphim and cherubim sing before the throne of God is the Lord of hosts. Isaiah alone in the book of Isaiah calls him the Holy One. 26 times. In one book. You see, God is supremely holy. He manifests his holiness in his works, Psalm 145, 17, in his law, Psalm nineteen eight and 9, but especially at the cross of Christ. But Christ had to pay such a price so that God could still both be holy and just and forgive sinners like us. Nowhere, nowhere in all the Bible do we see the holiness of God shine so brightly as in the cry of dereliction that Christ uttered from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, God can't, God's so holy, he can't forgive sin without doing so on just grounds. And he gave his own son to show us his superlative holiness. To pay for the likes of us. Of our abominable sins in his sight. So holiness. The holiness of God. Is his permanent crown. It's his abiding glory. It's his inexpressible beauty. God is Holy there's a brightness a, a, a may I say it this way a whiteness, a splendor to God's holiness that I've often thought about when I've stood at ocean's edge and if the sun is shining just right and the waves are coming in, you see this little white cap on every wave coming in don't you this is this is this is a picture just a faint picture of God's holiness. It's the white cap of every other attribute he has. Everything, everything about God shines with this luster of holiness. Jonathan Edwards said, the holiness of God is more than a mere attribute of God. It's the sum of all his attributes. It's the outshining of all that God is. And so the holiness of God teaches us three critical truths about himself. One is God's radical separateness from all his creation. God is holy. There's an apartness, apartness, if you will, in quotation marks, about God from all his creation that you can't put into words. He's holy like nothing else is holy. Cornelius Ventil. I, I, I got my PhD from Westminster, Philadelphia, and the story was often about Cornelius Ventil. I came just a few years after he stopped teaching, unfortunately, but I heard the story many times. He would go to the chalkboard and he would write, or whiteboard today, he would write on it, Creator, with a capital C. And he'd draw a line underneath it. And the bottom half of the board, he'd write creation. There's a divide. There's a separation. God is unique. There is no other God. There is no other creature holy like God is holy. There's a separateness, a uniqueness about God in his holiness. But secondly... The holiness of God means that God is approachable. He's approachable only by holy sacrifice, only by the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. God cannot be the holy one and remain indifferent to sin. He must punish sin. And therefore the necessity of the gospel, therefore the necessity of the blood shedding of Jesus for any sinner ever to be saved. No blood shedding of Jesus. First Peter 1 says it right here. You were saved f- with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who was foreordained before the foundation of the world to be that Savior for you. So, creator, creation, a line between us, but that line was penetrated by the mediator who became man, who is God and man, who is creator and creation, if you will, so that we might have a way as creature to have communion with God through the mediator so that God and we might meet in Jesus Christ so we might know him in the fellowship of his son and in the suffering of his death and, res- and his resurrection. And we may then be partakers of his holy character. Hebrews 12, that you might be partakers of his Holiness. And what does Hebrews 12 say? How do you become a partaker of his holiness? Through affliction. Through affliction. Isn't that amazing? Where would you be without affliction in your life? What happens if everything would always go your way? You always get what you want. What would you be like? Well, I can tell you two things for sure. If you're at all like me, number one, you wouldn't be holy at all. You'd be very self centered. Well, you get your way all the time. And number two, you'd be a spoiled brat. And you wouldn't be happy because you'd be a God to yourself. But through affliction, God says, I make my people holy. So you can't be saved by a suffering Savior and not follow him in the footsteps of his suffering. Can you? You will be partakers of his suffering here that you may be partakers with him in holiness and be glorified hereafter. Which leads me to my third thought. Is that through this sufficient mediator, this God-man mediator, this perfect atoning obedience of this mediator, God can fulfill the demands of his holiness on behalf of sinners so that we may enter into this intimate fellowship with him. Summarized so beautifully by Paul's confession in Second Corinthians five twenty-one. God hath made Him, His Son, to be sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And so God opens a door in His holiness to communion with Him through His Son. And we are then called to grow in holiness as we grow in intimate communion with Him and His Son by the Spirit indwelling us, which flows out of union with Christ, merited for us and applied to us by the Spirit of Christ as an outgrowth of Jesus meriting that union through his blood shedding. And so now you have the incomprehensible happening, the perfectly holy God, through his Son, by his Spirit, all three persons being co-equal in holiness is willing to take enemies and rebels and sinners like us and bring us back into communion with God and to make us holy and prepare us for the holy mansions and the holy eternal glory forever and ever. Therefore, you see, gird up the loins of your mind. Therefore, be holy. This is your personal calling if you're a believer. God demands this calling from you. Everything, Paul says to Timothy, everything, 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5, is to be sanctified, to be made holy, whether you eat or whether you drink. So this is a comprehensive call. There's no part of my life, if I divide my life up like an apple pie into 16 pieces, and my friendships, my my family, my spouse, my work, my hobbies, my desires, my... My dreams, my relationships with friends. Every part of it is to be holy. To be holy. Not just the Lord's day, every day. And that personal holiness, you see, demands a wholeness from me, it demands my heart, my son. And we could add, my daughter, give me thy heart. And so, my question to you this afternoon and to me is are we cultivating, like a good farmer, are we cultivating holiness in every area of our lives? In privacy with God? In the confidentiality of our homes? in the competitiveness of our occupation, in the pleasures of social friendship, in relationship with our unevangelized neighbors, and the world's hungry and unemployed, in our disappointments in life, in our challenges and sorrows, as well as in our Sunday worship. Listen to Horatius Bonar. Holiness extends to every part of our persons, fills up our being, spreads over our life, influences everything we are or do or think or speak or plan, small or great, outward or inward, negative or positive, our loving, our hating, our sorrowing, our rejoicing, our recreations, our business, our friendships, our relationships, our silence, our speech, our reading, our writing, our going out, our coming in, our whole man, in every movement of our soul and body. Wow. So holiness is not something that I do just, well, because I'm saved and I know I need to do it. That's right. Holiness is your calling. Holiness is your entire life. As John Calvin said, the Christian ought to strive for his entire life to be a continuous exercise of holy piety. So holiness is an inward thing. It must fill our heart and then overflow into our lives. And that in Jesus Christ, who is our sanctification. Now, Theologians distinguish between what's called definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification. Definitive and progressive. What does that mean? Well, it means the moment you're saved, the moment you're justified, the moment you come, you're regenerated, you come into union with Christ, you may not know that exact moment. It may be a little earlier than you think it was. It may be a little later than you think it was. But the moment you're born again, the seed of holiness is put into your heart. You're made a new creation. You're brought from darkness into light. You're definitively holy. But now, that holiness needs to bear fruit. That little seed needs to germinate and, and, and well, it's just germinated, but it needs to grow and it needs to penetrate the soil in which it's planted. It needs to grow and become a, become a tree or bear fruit. That's a process. And that process is ups and downs. Talk to any farmer. Now, or, or, or compare it for a moment to a marriage. I like to compare it this way the day of your wedding, those of you who are married, the day of your wedding, did you walk into the wedding arm-in-arm with your spouse? No, you walked in separately. Why? You weren't married, you weren't one yet. How'd you walk out at the end of the wedding? It's not just a symbol that you walk out arm-in-arm as one. These two shall be one. So, when you walked out, in terms of your status, in terms of your state before God and before man, you walked out as how many people? One. So, marriage is these two shall be one. Now, as soon as you got outside those church doors and you've been married one hour, are you really one in your condition? Oh, no. You've got unique thoughts, both of you. You've got different personalities. Now you go, go out. And you have to go out and live it out, don't you? It takes a whole lifetime to become one. And even then, you don't ever make it completely. Even if you're married 75 years, even if you have a wonderful marriage. But you're working towards it. It's a progressive oneness. A little ups and downs but hopefully it's progressive. Hopefully your marriage gets better and better and better. Like I say to my wife all the time, I love you more than yesterday and less than tomorrow. Because it gets better. You learn to think more alike. You learn to speak more alike. You learn to to mesh better. It's like you become more and more one. It's beautiful, isn't it? But you see, that's the way it is with God. God he makes you definitively holy that day that he he wed you to himself but then you've got to live it out and there's ups and downs and you stumble and you confess your sin and you 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 grieve you're you're made holy you're 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 made righteous you're righteous in Christ but you're still a sinner and you 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 try to grow and you your whole life is devoted to wanting to serve him so there's that tension You're holy, and yet you've got to be made more holy. You're holy in your state, but you've got to be made more and more what you really are, by the grace of God inside, a new creation. So, for the true believer, holiness is both something you have in Christ before God and something you must cultivate in the strength of Christ. Your status in holiness is conferred. By grace, Your condition in holiness must be pursued by grace. So we are always called as believers, we are always called as believers to be in life what we already are in principle by grace. That's our calling. That's our calling. Paul says to the Thessalonians, I pray God that you will be sanctified wholly. Holy. In other words, it still has to be accomplished. Sanctification received is just sanctification begun. It is yet to be sanctification perfected, and it won't be perfected until you're raised from the dead and you go to be with Christ forever. Well, I hope you get the point. There's nothing, there's nothing that can escape the call to holiness. Your whole life is involved. That's why Christians should never say things like this. Oh, I'm going to go kill some time. Kill some time? Every moment has to be sanctified to the Lord. You should live purposely every moment, you see. Or you should never hear a Christian say something like this. Well, I know this isn't right, but... What? You're going to sin even, even though you know it's not right? Oh yeah, but it's just a small sin. What? There are no small sins with God. The smallest sin can throw you in the pit of hell if it's not washed with the blood of Christ. The call to holiness is a total life call. No excuses. No escapes. No escapes. Yes, you'll never live. You'll never be on earth what you really fully want to be. But this is your desire. This is your goal as a Christian. You want to be perfectly holy. Oh God, help me. Martin Luther said it so well. It's a Latin phrase, and I'll translate it for you, but it's a very famous one. Maybe you've heard it. Simo justus et peccator. And what it means is simply this. I'm at the same time righteous in Christ and still a sinner and still need more holiness. I always need more holiness. So that's the call. Secondly, what about the what of holiness? What what are we really trying to achieve by cultivating holiness? Three things. Let me put it into a Trinitarian framework for you. Number one, Imitation of the character of the Father. Be ye holy, for I am holy. We're to be God-like. We're to seek to be like our Father in heaven in righteousness, in holiness, in integrity. We're to strive to think God's thoughts after him, through his word. To be of one mind with him. To live and act as God himself would have us to do. Listen to the Puritan Stephen Sharnock. The prime way of honoring God is not to glorify God by elevated admirations or eloquent expressions or pompous services for him, but to live to him by living like him. You see, be imitators of God, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 say. That's holiness. To be more Godlike. I want to be more godlike tomorrow than I am today. That's the what. But the what is also, secondly, conformity to the image of Christ. Conformity to the image of Christ, which is, of course, a favorite theme of Paul, isn't it? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and so forth. Humbling himself to the death of the cross. I want to be like that. I want to be a humble, willing servant like Jesus. I don't want to aim for conformity to Christ as a condition of my salvation. But as a fruit of the salvation I've received by faith in Him. Augustine put it so very well, so profoundly, when he said this. There's a path to Christ. I would rather limp along that Christ-centered path, becoming more conformed to him, than I would run outside of that path. Because everything outside of that path is vanity. You get the picture. I'm in process Sometimes I'm limping, sometimes I'm walking, sometimes I'm running, sometimes I'm falling. But, oh, my eyes on Christ. I want to be like Him. I want to be conformed to Him. We have two daughters. (coughs) And both of them recently wrote to my, my wife on her birthday a similar compliment. I'm going to embarrass her now. They, they said, Mom, thank you so much for your servant heart. And when I grow up, I want, I want to be like my mom. You see, a Christian says it. I, I mean this reverently, not as a joke. When I grow up, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be conformed to his image. I want to have his servant heart. I want to be able to lay down my life for the brethren. I want to be that meek and mild, glorious, beautiful. I want to be like him in his attributes. I want to look to him for holiness. For he's the fountain. He's the path of holiness. I want to do what John Calvin said. Set Christ before you. As the mirror of your sanctification. And then seek grace to mirror him in his image. I want people to be able to see Christ in me. Every day. I want to trust him for my holiness. I know that He won't disappoint me. I want to to live like Paul. I want to be able to say, Christ is all and in all. I want to be able to say, as we heard last night, for me to live is Christ and to die because I die in Him is gain. I want to be able to say with Martin Luther. I just love this, this quote of Luther. It's a whole sermon. We, in Christ equals justification Christ in us equals sanctification. Oh conform me Lord Jesus to thy image. See the goal of life is not just getting converted and squeaking by into heaven. Romans 8:29 you're predestinated unto what? To be conformed to the image of Christ. That's a whole lifetime. Yeah, you're one in Christ, in your state. But a whole lifetime of growing in that oneness, in your spiritual condition. And then thirdly, the what is not only imitation of the character of the Father and conformity to the image of the Son, but submission. Submission to the mind of the Holy Spirit as revealed in his word. The whole Bible is, the, is ultimately, the Holy Spirit's the author of it. And when you're made holy, you learn to submit more and more and more to what the scriptures say. You say, if the Bible says it, that's what I want to do. Romans 8, 6 Paul divides all people into two categories. Those who let themselves be controlled by their sinful natures. He calls them carnally minded who follow fleshly desires. And those who follow after the spirit, Paul says. And notice what he says. They are those who mind, mind the things of the spirit. You want. To know what the Bible says. You want to live what the Bible says. You want to bow under what the Bible says. So that's the what? Imitation of the Father. Conformity to the Son. Submission to the mind of the Holy Spirit. Now, third point. How do you do that? Well, let me give you, uh, there's many ways, of course. Let me just give you six ways or so. you'd use the means, just like a farmer uses the means to have a crop. So, number one is obvious, and you'll expect it. Know and love the Bible. Know and love the Scriptures. This is God's primary road to holiness and to spiritual growth. You read the Scriptures. You search the Scriptures. You listen to the Scriptures preached. Jesus says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Peter says, "Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby." So you you memorize the Bible, you search the scriptures, you meditate on the scriptures, you live the scriptures, you love the scriptures, you compare scripture with scripture, you study the word. You can't expect to grow if you're not in the Bible. I had an elder who once called me up. I was 10 minutes away from going to the airport to do a conference. And uh, my bags were packed, ready to go. He calls me up. He says, he's weeping. He says, I'm an abomination to the Lord. I'm in a bad way. Can you come over right away? So what's, what's wrong? He goes, no, I, I just, I can't pray. I can't read the Bible. I can't do anything. I, I'm backslidden. I'm a reprobate. Oh, my brother, my brother. I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm, I've got to leave right now, but I'll come as soon as I get back home in, in three days. I'll come right to you, right from the airport. I'll come right to you. But I want you to do one thing. I want you to spend a half an hour each day alone with God. Ten minutes reading the Bible, ten minutes meditating, ten minutes of praying. He said, I can't do it. I said, why can't you do it? It'll be an abomination to the Lord. I said, it'll be a double abomination to the Lord if you don't do it. Because you'll be adding sin to sin. You know, when I got back, there was a note waiting for me. No need to see Mr. So-and-so, all is well with his soul. He just got back into the means of grace, into the Bible, into meditation, into prayer. You see, God doesn't just decree who's going to be saved. Election involves not only who's going to be saved, but also the means by which they are being saved and the means by which they continue to be saved and continue to grow in holiness. Don't come and complain to me, and I can't come and complain to you. Oh, I'm not growing in holiness if I'm not in the word. Number two, you use the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper diligently as a means of grace to strengthen your faith in Christ. The sacraments don't give you a different Christ than you get under the Word, but sometimes we get Christ better because they come so low and they're so visible. The Lord's Supper, for example, all five senses are involved. We smell the bread and the wine, we taste it, we, we, we touch it, we... We we see it, we hear the Word as it's coming to us. God comes very low in the Lord's Supper in order to lift us up very high, to sit in heavenly places. And we leave the Supper resolving once more to live wholly and solely for Christ why the Lord's Supper is a remembrance feast. We remember Jesus. It's a strengthening feast. It strengthens our faith. It's a witnessing feast. We declare to one and all that our, our life is outside of ourselves in Jesus. It's a love feast. We, we, we come to love him all the more. It's a covenanting feast. He covenants himself to us and we covenant ourselves back to him to give our whole life to him, which is only our reasonable service, Romans 12.1 says use the sacraments. 3. Regard yourself as dead, dead to the dominion of sin and as alive to God in Christ. Romans 6:11. Did you know that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that this text helped him in his battle for holiness more than any other text in the Bible? He said when I'm tempted to sin, I said wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm a Christian. My sins have nailed my Savior to the cross. Last thing in the world I want to do is sin again. I am dead unto sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's how we ought to think. And Lloyd-Jones, of course, was just experiencing the same thing that Luther Luther often used against the devil when the devil tempted him. You know, Luther often talked to the devil. The devil was so real to him. He just talked to him. And he would say things like this. Devil, I see you coming now and you're tempting me again. But you're at the wrong address because my Savior is Jesus and he's in heaven and you can't reach him. But in order to get at me, you have to get him because he's my head. Don't come to me. Go to him. But you'll never get him, Satan. You're a defeated foe already. Because he's... He's a living God. You're just a fallen angel. Be gone, Satan. See, I got no business. I shut the door on sin. I shut the windows of the house of my heart on sin. I don't leave the windows open one inch. So that sin can creep back in. I say no to sin. I don't say how close can I come to sin and not sin. I say how far away can I stay from sin? I want to be holy. Hate sin. Sin is not your master anymore. You've been born again. Christ is your master. Be gone, sin. Number four. Pray and work in dependence upon God for holiness. Pray and work. Ora et labora is the old Latin expression. John Bunyan put it this way. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you have prayed. So always begin with prayer. Always begin with prayer. But then go to work. Don't be a monk and pray all day long every day. Worldliness will stay in your heart. God has designed us to be creatures who both pray and work. Need to do both. Prayer and work, said one of the Puritans, are like two oars. If you're going to row a boat and you want you have a target straight ahead, you've got to use both oars. If you just pray only and you don't work, your boat will go in circles. If you just work and don't pray, your boat will go in circles. You pray and you work. Those are the means of God's provision. Number five, flee worldliness. Flee worldliness. The material we read. The recreation, entertainment we engage in, the music we listen to, the conversations we have have affect our minds. And we ought to judge them in the context of Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report, if there's any virtue, any praise, think on these things. So, when we're conscious about living a holy life, we want to live above the world and not be of the world while we are yet in the world. As someone said, if you stand on the word, you will not stand with the world. Jesus said, The world will hate you because I hated me. We ought not be surprised, be jealous for the well-being of your own holiness and your own soul. It's not legalism that Daniel refused to partake of the king's wine in his drink that he might not defile himself. He was worried about being in the worldly atmosphere of those Babylonians. They were trying to make him a Babylonian. Satan and the world are every day trying to make you a quote Babylonian in this world and not a God-fearer. And Satan will come at anything, any way to make you less holy. So he'll he'll say to you, you know, turn on the TV now, watch, you know, you've worked hard all day, watch, watch that movie for an hour and a half, never, never mind, never mind that there's four murders on it and seven sexual, unbiblical sexual innuendos or, or immodest dress or Uh, cursing and swearing or, you know, just, just, oh, well, that's okay. What? You know what the Puritans would say? They'd say, if you participate in watching a movie, all those sins that you see and you're a silent observer, you're consenting to it. When you see right away that that movie has got is breaking the Ten Commandments. Turn it off. Don't fill your mind with these things. Flee worldliness. Serve the Lord with holiness. And then six, seek fellowship in the church. Associate with mentors in holiness. Someone was just talking to me about my good friend Jeff Thomas in Wales. When he had his fiftieth anniversary, we had the my wife and I had the privilege of fiftieth uh, was it fiftieth anniversary of his wedding or of the church? You remember? Oh, we were there for both. Okay, they were both the same time, I guess. They're similar, but anyway, we had with this wonderful inside seat and uh, with his family, and he stood up to talk to his grandchildren. It was absolutely beautiful. But the one thing that stood out that I remembered, he looked at all his grandchildren and he said, he said, you know, you you don't only need to know the Lord, but you need to grow in holiness. And how do you grow in holiness? Well, you'll look around, he said. You'll look around to find other people who are more holy than you and you let them be your friends. And if they're more holy than you, they will influence you and you'll become more holy. Oh, that's great advice. One of the Puritans, Thomas Watson, said, association begets assimilation. That's why I love reading the old Puritan books, quite honestly, because they're way more holy than I am. And they stir me up. And they move me. And I agree with Martin Luther. Most of my best friends are dead. And they're sitting on my shelves. And they speak to me. And they challenge me. And they allure me. And they invite me to grow in holiness. So read good books. Make really good friends. A Christian life lived in isolation from other believers will be defective and spiritually immature. And then number seven, finally, live present tense, total commitment to God. Present tense, total commitment to God. If you got a bosom sin that you often find yourself falling into, don't fall into the one more time syndrome. I'll, I'll just do it one more time and then I'll start being holy tomorrow. No, no, no. That's the way people diet. And they never succeed because they're always dieting. Their diet is always going to start tomorrow. You see, postponed obedience is today's disobedience, faith is present tense tomorrow's faith is today's unbelief you ask for divine strength to bring every thought into captivity to christ so those are seven ways you can come up with more yourself but seven ways that you can grow in holiness cultivate holiness let me close now by giving you a few encouragements and a few joys Encouragements. Number one, God has called you to holiness for your good and his glory. And anything that's for his good, his glory and your good is worthwhile pursuing. God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness, Paul says. Number two, holiness makes you resemble God and preserves your integrity. And that's what you want in the Christian life, don't you? Number three, Holiness gives evidence of your justification and your election. We already saw that. And that is so good for us. Because God has chosen us from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. And number four. Holiness is essential for our effective service to God our credibility, our lives are powerful when they are open epistles for everyone to read, when our holy living preaches reality, when people can see in us we're the real deal, we're bona fide Christians, we want to be holy. And number five, finally, holiness fits you for heaven. Pursue holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You see, if you're caught up with this world, you're not ready for the next. So be holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. So let me conclude with just a few, few thoughts on the joy of holiness. You see, Satan will tell you that to be holy is to be unhappy. And the way to get happiness is to seek for happiness. No one has ever become happy by seeking for happiness. Happiness is a byproduct of holiness. People say the Puritans were such a joyless lot of people. I'm sorry, I've been reading them for 53 years. People that say that are people who haven't ever read them. Puritans are the most joyful people on earth that I've ever known. Through their books, you can read it. You can feel it. Because they were A holy people. They were dedicated to the Lord. They they knew the joy of the Lord. I have a colleague who collected quotations from the Puritans on blessedness and holiness and happiness. And he only got part way, and he had more than a thousand quotable quotations about happiness in the Puritan writings. But all connected with holiness. All connected with joy in the Lord. Well, three quick thoughts. The supreme joy is fellowship with God. Fellowship with God. No greater joy on earth than to have communion with God. In thy presence, said David, is fullness of joy. Psalm 16, verse 11. Second is the ongoing joy, abiding assurance. What a joy it is to know that all things work together for good to those who love God. All things. You say, well, wait a minute, Lord. This tragedy in my life, this cannot work together for good. Oh, yes, it can. More. Oh, yes, it will. If you're a Christian. God brings good out of evil. God makes crooked sticks straight. God can do wondrous things. The ongoing joy is that I have an abiding assurance that he is mine and I am his. And all things shall turn out well in the end. And then there's the thirdly, the anticipated joy of the holy people of God. The eternal, gracious reward. I say gracious reward. This is our longing, isn't it? not just as ministers, but as lay people as well, that on the day of days, as we come before the throne of Jesus and we hand him our passport to enter into heaven, which is simply his blood. It's the only passport there is to enter into heaven, the blood of Jesus. And he will look at us and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. What a joy that will be. Well done. By my grace, you're entering into a place of total joy, a world of perfect love, where every single person gets along perfectly with everyone else even agrees with everybody about everything. Even Calvin and Luther will agree on everything in heaven. Think about it. It's amazing. One harmony, one love, perfect love among the Trinity. Perfect love of the Trinity to the saints and to the angels. Perfect love of the angels to the Trinity and the saints. Perfect love of the saints to each other, to the angels to the triune God. Heaven is a world of perfect love and perfect holiness. All good walled in, all evil walled out. What a joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory is what heaven will be. And so, cultivate holiness. Without which no man shall see the Lord. But don't do it. Outside of Jesus. Remember that. Begin with Christ if you would become holy. Continue the battle for holiness by abiding in Christ. Remember, holiness is not the way to Christ, Christ is the way to holiness. Outside of Christ, there is no holiness. So don't fall into legalism. Holiness is not a list. Holiness is a life. It's a life in Jesus Christ. So make it your prayer. Help me to cultivate holiness today in Jesus. And pray with Robert Murray McShane. Lord, make me as holy as a pardoned sinner on earth can be. Let's pray. Gracious God, I ask thy benediction upon this address. I pray that thou wouldst make us holy and that we would strive to use the means of grace faithfully to be more holy in dependency upon thy spirit, looking to Jesus and seeking to be imitators of the Father. O bless us with thy Holy Spirit, is our internal indweller. And enable us to see that he takes the things of Christ and of his word and reveals them to us, that we may be partakers of Christ's righteousness and Christ's holiness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.